Welcome to the Smoke Show Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Taylor Swift. It's late. I feel like I'm kind of coming to you with like late night vibes. Maybe they'll be a little bit more chill. Maybe I'll be a little bit quieter, but honestly, I'll probably lose my ability to judge the level of my voice very quickly. It's just not a talent I've ever had. My recording this, my microphone is so much lower than full volume. Like I, my waveforms peak every time, no matter what. So I really try to uh, keep the tone level. But anyway, today uh, we're going to be talking about Taylor Swift. Yesterday or today was the second anniversary of Folklore coming out and that blew my mind. So I wanted to talk about it. Um, Folklore is definitely the album that kind of like got me back into Taylor Swift in a big way. I guess like, should I talk about? Yeah. Okay. We're going to go through my Swifty timeline because this is my podcast. So you get to know all of these really inane details about my life through this. (laughs) The first time I heard Taylor Swift, I actually do remember the first time I heard Taylor Swift, which is, um, Of course I do. I have the memory of an elephant. I have never forgotten a single thing in my life. The first time I ever heard Taylor Swift was actually at my camp. My camp had like a weekly uh, talent show and this girl whose first name is actually Taylor sang our song acapella. And I had never heard our song before. And Taylor's a really great singer. Um, Shout out to Taylor. I'm not gonna say her last name. That feels weird, but her first name was Taylor. And so whenever, so I thought she wrote the song because it just, it's, you know, like Taylor Swift was a teenage girl when she wrote it. Like it's a very honest teenage sounding song and we were all teenagers. So I thought Taylor, my camp Taylor wrote it. And when I asked about the song, I feel like I heard the name Taylor with it. So I just assumed it was the girl who had sang the song. And then I was in my friend's car, soft, end of sophomore, beginning of junior year, and she loved country music. And so she put on our song and I was like, wait, there's no way Taylor um, from camp got like a record deal. (laughs) So I like worked backwards and realized what had happened. So my first association with Taylor Swift was that I actually thought that um, the girl who sang the song had written her song. Um, and our song was a song that ended up in all of my driving playlists in high school. It is one of the best songs to like sing along to with your friends. You can kind of like scream shout it. And I think it's in everybody's range. Like, I do think that one of the best things about Taylor Swift's like radio playability is that it's not hard to sing and sound kind of like decent because she's not like a high soprano like she does hit notes that are hard to hit and like I'm not saying she's a bad singer I'm just saying her songs are like pretty sing-alongable too in a way that also she doesn't heavily alter her voice usually so I think like you singing along with your friends in the car is the vibe she's going for because ultimately at the end of the day like Taylor Swift's whole thing is that she wants to be your best friend and that's the vibe she wants to leave her audience with that's what audiences have always left with like if you look up any of like the millions of personal essays that exist on the internet about what it's like to go to a Taylor Swift concert all of them talk about how it feels like she's just talking to them and how personal she makes her shows And Taylor Swift plays in stadiums and I don't know how like that translates, but like I've watched the reputation tour that's on Netflix and it's a really interesting show. And she does make like a lot of emotional speeches. And I think Taylor's thing from launch was very personal. So it's been really easy for her fans to find themselves in her lyrics And connect with her on really intimate levels and in ways that I think are purposefully exploited, passively exploited, and then honestly appreciated. Um, I think the interesting thing about a lot of fan to creator relationships is that they, you can't separate the fact that these are the things making them money. And Taylor is like very much a capitalist in a way that I find like kind of fascinating. Like a lot of, I know that like a lot of her fans have money just because she has so many fans that there are enough of them that have enough money to spend on this. But the idea that she made like Stella McCartney merch and it was hideous. I love Taylor, but like, oh my God, that merch is so bad. I might link to it just to prove how bad it is. Um, And I don't like, I like Stella McCartney too. I don't know what both of them were doing. And that line is a little bit forced, but it's fine. It's part of the cheesiness about Taylor Swift that I really love. So this is Smoke Show. I feel like 
I want to start talking about, like, I, the last episode I recorded, like, um, on an edible. This one, I just smoked a bowl. Um, I had a nice little bong bowl. It was very, uh, you know, I smoked a little bit earlier today, didn't smoke at all for a few hours, did a bunch of work, and now I feel, like, very, very chill. So that's very nice. I listened to a bunch of Taylor Swift earlier today. Taylor is really easy to just listen to an album straight through on. Um, I was lucky enough to get the Lover album for Christmas on vinyl, and that has been, like, really fun to be able to listen through to. Um, I think Taylor is an interesting artist in how prolific she is. She, like, we don't really call them divas anymore, but I think she is a modern, like, she is one of the modern divas. I don't think she has, like the voice that a lot of historic like past people have had but i think she's made like a very distinct (coughs) i think it doesn't matter that she doesn't have the voice because she has the talent and like this the whole package and her ability to market herself in this day and age i don't know that we'll ever see anything like it again i think she might be one of the last kind of like classic thems um if we're talking in like who weekly terms that was able to come up with such a specific kind of pr machine working behind her and the very traditional loops that they kind of used in the media to like get um her relationships to really be part of her main narrative whether she like admits to it or not or likes it or not or whatever was going on we now know a lot more in the public i think there's a lot more like general public awareness of PR set up relationships. And when you look at Taylor Swift's relationships, especially when she was much younger and much less like, I think, in control of what was going on with her image, the relationships are pretty obvious. Um, And I think that she is kind of one of the last thems to really rise through the cover of a tabloid almost like I think she really ingrained herself in America's brain in a very specific way and I don't blame her for that I don't think that it was fully probably her choice to go that direction um I wish it was something that she could honestly talk about but I get that the backlash would be too weird um because not it's not maybe well known all over that plenty of celebrities get into PR relationships. And I don't think like all of her relationships have been, I'm not like saying that, but I just think that she clearly had some and the, the narrative that was sold to us was very boyfriend heavy. So in her modern era, she's very like, she chafes a lot against like Taylor Swift's had a lot of boyfriend jokes, which I think is fair. It's been a long time since she was just kind of dating. And like, I don't think she dated that many people, but I think when you're, relationship is constantly on the cover of magazines it's in the cultural zeitgeist and so you can't it's not that you can't blame the public because they're not asking for that content necessarily but like they are buying the magazines like you know it's this constant feedback loop of like the kardashians have you know been on the cover of every single magazine every single week in some ways and the reason that they keep getting put on is because people buy the magazines some people are buying the magazines to hate read the articles or to whatever but i think taylor like kardashians then were also doing this but taylor was very much on the cover of magazines and going on ellen and she was talking about her boyfriends and she was making snarky videos about joe jonas breaking up with her in a phone call and stuff so like i don't love the cleansing of the past narrative uh, necessarily that like that was never a thing, but I do think it's a tired joke at this point. It's been so long, but I do just want to mention that I think the way she came up is not going to be replicated just because of how the culture works now. And the fact that we just don't get all of our news and media and like social stuff from one or four sources now it's everywhere and so you can have niche interests and topics you know i don't think i don't think taylor would have been bad during a tiktok era she's she writes her own songs she's very good about showing process and things like that so i think it would have been interesting if she was you know tasked with coming up now um does talent win out or is it really hard in an algorithm to get noticed i don't know i think like also (laughs) the way she writes lyrics funny because it's definitely influenced other people but i do find this younger generation to be quite literal with lyrics in a way that like i don't 
I don't hear a lot of metaphors. And this might just be TikTok. Like, I, I might not be talking about people who are not just, like, making songs on TikTok. But not just the, like, Disney character, like, the genre of, like, an adult singing about doing, like, a rhyme over a, a Disney melody. But um, there's just a lot of, like, very literal songs that I'm always like, okay, is are we just drifting away from poetry as, like, a genre as far as what lyrics usually contain in some way? I know lyrics aren't always poetry, but I feel like lyrics are often um, full of poetic it uses a lot of poetic literary signatures in lyrics. So it's just, it's just interesting to me that Gen Z is very literal. Anyway, back to Taylor Swift. So I listened to our song and then our song was on all of my um, high school playlists because my friend loved country, got me into Taylor. And like we listened to some of the other ones, but I didn't like 15 or like Tim McGraw, like, it just wasn't my type of music. Um, I don't generally love country, so I leaned a lot more towards her when she became pop. But at that point, it wasn't that I didn't like Taylor. I just, like, I didn't care about her boyfriends. I always thought the Jake Gyllenhaal thing was so weird because I was like, he's so much older than her. Like, she's such a baby. And, like, looking back at those photos, I am correct. She's a fucking child. Like, she is so young. It's so weird. Um, It's, anyway, so... I wasn't super into that element. And so I feel like I didn't really enjoy the gossip because it always like the especially like the Taylor Lautner relationship. I don't know. It always just rang kind of weirdly hollow to me not to be like <laughs> I knew back then, but it just I don't know. It was very tabloidy. It felt tabloidy. I wasn't really into Taylor for a while, but she was so ubiquitous. Like one of the only Apple songs I purchased was You Belong With Me. And it was because it was stuck in all of our heads and I had to put it on my iPod and I couldn't figure out, couldn't find a touring for it. It was a whole thing. So I had to buy it. And that was, so like now it's always in my phone and stuff because like if you've bought something on iTunes, it shows up everywhere. And so it's like that and like two acapella songs from like my college's acapella group. It's Anyway, uh, those are haunting me forever. So uh <laughs> I also worked in retail, so Taylor was on every single playlist that I listened to every single day, but I didn't listen to Taylor for a while also because somebody who was super into her turned out to be like a con, like I was like good friends with him and he like lived with all of my best friends and um, he turned out to be like a con man and like kind of ruined all of our lives in a way and he was really into Taylor Swift and so she was just soured for me from that experience like he has a video of her meeting him like it was yeah like it was very speak now on the vinyl was on play a lot and I didn't like the song mean at all I thought it was really petty and weird and like kind of like I think it's like a funny commentary on itself almost but I just remember that song playing a lot and he ended up being such a fucking the whole situation was so fucking terrible and weird that like um I think she was soured for me for a while and um then she kind of like came up on Tumblr a lot. Um, her fan base was very popular on Tumblr, like very popular by that. I mean, like she was very popular as like a, f- a dedicated fan topic. So a lot of people had Taylor Swift blogs. There was a lot of gifts of her, a lot of like lyrics, like Taylor's lyrics work very well under angsty photos. And that's what Tumblr runs on. Um, I don't know that it worked so well over, you know, like black and white photos of cigarettes and coffee, but that's what we had Arctic Monkeys AM for. So like we didn't need Taylor, but Taylor started her own blog and then she would like like posts. There was things where she would lurk. People started finding out the tags that she followed. because like old Tumblr was kind of the Wild West. And Taylor like was really pretty good at Tumblr. Like I think she understood how to interact with her fans on it, especially in the beginning in a very interesting way. And then she started giving people gifts all the time. And I think like the video of her um, showing up at people's showing up at like a fan's house and riding around in the little motorized like Range Rover that she's giving them is like kind of famous. And like the Ryan Murphy shot for shot remake of that in Scream Queens is the only part of Scream Queens I think is worth watching. It's so spot on. Um, But She used to give gifts on Tumblr. That was kind of where the gift giving became a thing. And she would get like random stuff. Like she got this one girl like a Japanese tea set because she was in Japan and like saw it and thought that this girl would really like it because it went with something that Taylor like saw on her blog that was in this girl's room. Because like when we talk about parasocial relationships, like I don't know, is that parasocial or at this point like 
does Taylor Swift know enough about that girl to know that she would like this really like beautiful Japanese tea set and then she bought it for her and then she finds she reaches out through her team to get this girl's address um, she's nervous and like waiting for this girl's response all week to the point that the girl like drives home from college to like go open this package because she doesn't know what it is and then she finds that it's this like beautiful tea set from Japan that Taylor saw and thought of her and like that is so like fan for life kind of shit right like that's such an interesting story it got told on tumblr it's been told all over the internet it blew up on tiktok when it happened again like taylor was very good at cultivating fan relationships even back then and tumblr had like a few memes that involved taylor and she interacted with them in a way that people really liked it like there was um there was a post that was her face and somebody had written like a fake like copy pasta sad story under it And somebody had written under that, that's Taylor Swift. And somebody iconically responded to that with, no, it's Becky. And so then one day, Taylor wore a shirt that just said, no, it's Becky. And like, that is understanding your audience, girly. So that was Taylor's like Tumblr era through my eyes, where I followed a few people who weren't Swifty blogs, but often reblogged stuff. So I feel like I was like aware of what was happening the her lurking was definitely like a big thing that people talked about at the time it was kind of like how justin bieber used to lurk on twitter back in like way back in the day um people always like knew when he was liking stuff because they would like freak out and like screenshot it and send it to each other so taylor's really good at interacting with her fan base and now what's interesting is she does these secret listening sessions where she'll bring fans in and she personally invites these fans um and she often brings them into her home which is banana pants to me she has multiple stalkers like don't bring fans to your home i I get it because it breeds again that sense of intimacy like a lot of her photo shoots when she had that girl squad like ultimate girl squad um she was very much into showing like their sleepovers like taylor definitely wanted to be like everybody's bestest high school friend like she always reminded me of like the last scene in Josie and the Pussycats where like Piper Parabo's character is like uh, the voice recording is revealing that all she wanted to do with the song was make herself popular Um, I think Taylor has a lot of control stuff that she shows but also like that just was her image at the time. It was like, yeah, it's it's your best friend, Taylor. She's going to bake you cookies and listen to all your problems and cry about your heartbreak and write you the most reassuring song in the world. Like, she wants her songs to make you feel like you're reading her diary. And that breeds an intimacy that I don't think a lot of song creators purposefully create. And she's always been good at interacting with her fan base in ways that other artists don't. And... I think the gifts that she's given are often very personal. People have a lot of stories to tell about her. Um, she's given personal, like recommend, like work recommendations for fans who have done stuff for like fan websites. She's very good at knowing who actually has done quite a bit in terms of fundraising, or she's very good at reaching out with personal letters. Her mom famously goes and picks people to bring backstage. Like, she doesn't do meet and greets in the way of, like, you can pay for it. Like, you have to be invited by her mother, who's, like, a big figure in the fandom. I think Taylor is very good at cultivating a thing of, like, if you are a deserving fan kind of feeling. And I I wonder how purposeful it is, because the thing is, do I think that Taylor Swift actually genuinely loves her fans? Yes, because she's demonstrated it so many times. I do think she genuinely has gotten to know them when they write her stories. I think she really reads them. I think she's very connected to people, and I don't think it's all a front. But because she does make so much money on it, it can't be 100% authentic anymore. So I do wonder how purposeful the exploit is That now in the fandom, I think there's a lot of fear of saying something wrong. And, like, I don't consider myself a Swifty. I don't know enough. I haven't, like, you know, um, but I've listened to all the albums. Like, I'm a fan of Taylor Swift. I'm not trying to say I'm not. But I just, I think within, like, Swifty culture, it's not encouraged to criticize Taylor. And I think that that's a fear she's created in people by saying like, you know, deserving fans will get invited. Because if you're going to talk shit about Taylor on the internet, well, she's not going to invite you to a secret session. And I don't think that that prevents every bit of criticism that people have from being spoken out loud or typed up on their blog or whatever. But I do think it just adds a layer 
of should I post this? Will she see it? Because Taylor sees all is kind of a, you know, was a thing for a while. And and she really does, I think, know a lot of what's going on in her fandom. Um, I think she would be chronically online if she wasn't such a busy fucking, you know, millionaire. But I got back into Taylor when Folklore came out. But more specifically, I got back into her because Las Culturistas was talking a lot about her. And they did a big episode called Taylor vs. Taylor. I'll link it in the um, show notes and stuff. But it's a great podcast episode. It's one of my favorites. And they really go through her discography. They talk about her different modes and her different moods and her themes and the way she hits in genres. And I do think that Taylor is one of the most kind of like diverse pop artists we have in terms of her pop sounds. And talking about her artistry is a really interesting way to approach anyone's music. And I don't think often her music, I don't think that her music gets taken seriously often enough. And I don't think she gets talked about music first and persona first. Like, what is she trying to achieve with this era kind of question? And Matt and Bowen are just having a really interesting conversation about that. So I think one of the best ways to get into anything in pop culture is to have it introduced to you by somebody who genuinely loves it and just wants you to experience the joy that they get from it. I think that's why, honestly, I think that's why like BTS ARMY is so fucking successful because a lot of those people, like it is it is wild, the shit that they put um, fan cams of Jimin, you know, under as far as Twitter is not always great. But I do think that it comes from a very genuine place of just wanting to share in this thing that has given them so much joy. And I think that's very special. And I think fandoms are very special, but they can also be used for evil. And Taylor Swift's fandom, um, I do think a lot of people have made like lifelong friendships through it. I think there are so many super creative Swifties. Um, and they have a lot to say, a lot to analyze too, because Taylor is an artist who has a lot of material and she often comes out with more. There are so many songs that like, if you get into anything deep with any musician, like you're going to run into people who have like demos and leaked tracks and things like that. And that's definitely a big thing. Um, the fact that Taylor's released a lot of those through her Taylor's version albums, um, as far as vault tracks and things like that go. Uh, I think has been interesting for the fandom to see. And, you know, when she talks about through Taylor's version, I think she's said like, oh, I'm writing a lot of wrongs. I'm giving songs videos. It should have had videos. Can my fans tell me, you know, that that song should have had a video. And she's not good at picking lead singles. I'll just say that. Like, I don't understand a lot of her choices. She's got so many great songs. And then sometimes you're just listening and you're like, what's happening? Um, so <laughs> it's, it's great that she's getting a chance to revisit and kind of, you know, quote unquote, make right things that she should have gotten first time around. You know, I think if like Lover had gotten a, a slightly different edit as far as like, I think you could take like five, five or six songs off that album with no hesitation and not impact the quality of the album at all. In fact, maybe upgrade it um, or just rearrange the order that the songs are in. I think it's like a very like misaligned layout. It is my second favorite of her album, so I don't want to make it sound like I don't think Lover is a fantastic fucking album. I just think that sometimes her editing on her albums could use a, another look over by somebody who's maybe not as emotionally attached to the songs. Because I think it's like, it's very hard when you've worked very hard on these songs, and they're all great songs. Like, that's the thing about Taylor is a lot of times, like, her B-sides sound like somebody else's, like, best song on their album. So, um... I, I never want to make it sound like I don't fully love her songs. Like just to, yeah, since I said it was my second favorite and we're bouncing all around um, because I don't know why I expected that this would be linear. I'm really stoned. I think that this podcast is really supposed to be the kind of thing where like, hopefully I'm just like, you're kind of like high companion buddy who's like having a fun conversation about pop culture. Cause that's kind of the goal of it. So maybe I'm achieving that, but my discography ranking for Taylor Swift. Let's do it. Let's do a countdown. You already know number two. So number nine, coming in hot with debut. Um, I do love our song. I think it's a great song. I think it's one of the best songs to sing along in a card to. That is the only song off that album that I'm a big fan of. Next up is Fearless. Again, some great songs. I White Horse, I think is on that album. Love that song. There are some, some great Fearless songs songs then but you know it's just you know not my favorite but all of her albums are great so I'm not trying to say that any of the, them are bad these are just the order in which I would probably choose to listen to them like if I have to if I go 
you ask me, like, what's my number one, you know what I mean? You get how a list works. I don't know why I'm explaining it. This isn't a fucking luxury haul for Christmas that I'm trying to give 19 caveats to. If you are a Swifty and you are listening to this, I hope that you understand that all of this is coming from a place of love. Um, but also pop culture insights are interesting. Uh, Seven is Speak Now. Again, monster of an album, but kind of reminds me of a con man. So that's not her fault. Six is Evermore. I think of Evermore as the folklore B-sides. I think Taylor does too. Dorothea is a great song. I really love it. It's very sweet and I wish it got more attention. Number five is Red. I honestly thought Red would be higher, but the problem is from here on out, all of these albums are fan-fucking-tastic. So Red has one of my all-time favorite songs. I love Holy Ground so much. Holy Ground and Paper Rings to me are like sister songs and both of them are my favorites and I would put them on any like wedding dance playlist i think they are very fun and fast and shake your assable in a like um fun group way and not in like a sexy uh grindy way perfect for a wedding uh playlist you need a bunch of songs that a bunch of girls can like scream along to and those are great also cruel summer is great for that too uh, number four is 1989. 1989, again, one that should, be, like, they're all tied for first at this point in a way. 1989 is packed. It is so good. And there are, like, five songs on there that I think are some of the best pop songs ever written. Um, I Blank Space is so good, and Wildest Dreams is one of my favorite songs ever um, of Taylor's. It's she did a Grammy performance, like not Grammy performance, a Grammy museum performance where it's just her and a guitar. And she does kind of like a rock, like electric guitar cover of Wildest Dreams. It's just her and the guitar and her singing. And it's one of my favorite renditions of all time. Um, I will link that in the show notes. Maybe I'll make like a little t- Taylor playlist and link it. Cause I have a few, like just really some of her live performances. Like, again, I don't think like, is she the voice of a generation? No, she's got a really nice voice. And when she sings, sometimes she sings and she gets into it and it's great. Number three is Folklore, Reason for the Season, the one that got me back into her. I think Folklore is great. I wish it was more guitar and less piano. That's my review of Folklore. It's really nice. I love it a lot. I just think that like with folk in particular, I wanted it to be a little more folky. And it's not that you can't do folk with piano, but I just think that she, like Taylor Swift and a guitar is some of the most powerful stuff. And she covered quite a few songs like with her uh, NPR Tiny Dust. She did Death by a Thousand Cuts with just like her and a guitar. And it's so powerful and so great. And so I just wish Folklore, I wish she would release like actual, just straight up acoustic guitar version of Folklore and not just the long pond sessions. Um, Number two is Lover. Lover is such a good album. It is so wonderful. I love it a lot, but there are like four, like like I said earlier, there are six songs or so that I could cut without hesitation. Sometimes the back half of that album, I'm like, okay, this album could have been a sweet 14. I don't know that it needed to be like a 21, um, but it has so many great songs and Cruel Summer is one of my all-time favorite Taylor Swift songs. And I think Lover is just like an eternal classic in a way that... I forget who it was, but one of the, you know, huge male country artists covered Lover for his entire tour. And he introduced it by saying, like, this is one of those songs that you listen to and you wish you had written. And I think that Lover sounds like a song that's always been around in a way. And um, it has some of my favorite lyrics, like her, her songwriting on Lover, I think, is top tier. And even her, like, really cheesy bits. um, I, I think are really nice and I like them and yeah. Um, and then number one is reputation. Reputation is short, concise, uh, hard, hot, sexy in a way that other Taylor albums aren't. And it's a really good album and I love it a lot. So it's number one for those reasons. Reputation, um, I think did deserve Grammys. So she has a documentary. If you've never seen it, it's on Netflix called Miss Americana. It's okay. I wanted it to be a little bit better. Here's the thing. I think that that movie was supposed to be a very different movie, which yeah, let's get into conspiracy and Taylor Swift. So Taylor has a lot of conspiracy theories that follow her personal life 
And then she also indulges in kind of playing with conspiracies or numbers or things like that with her fans. And there's a Selena Gomez quote that gets said a lot in the fandom where Selena said, like, oh, Taylor is like the smartest person I know. You'll never catch all of the Easter eggs that she puts out there. Like, she's so smart. And I think that one of the best ways to implant into all of your fans' heads that everything you do is meant to be decoded is to have one of your best friends say that, like, you guys haven't even caught, like, half of it. Which I think, like, (laughs) the funny thing is now it's become such a part of her brand that it's almost overdone. And now fans find too much meaning and everything. And that must be so bonkers when you're just like, that didn't actually mean that. Like, uh... Or, oh, fuck, you guys figured it out, and now I don't know how to release the albums in a different order without, like, messing up the fact that the Rolling Stone covers matched the color to an album, and then those albums were the Taylor's version release order somehow. There's a lot of, like, there's a lot of Pepe Sylvia vibes in the Swifty fandom sometimes of just, like, this thing definitely connects to this thing, and you're like, I don't know that that fully connects. Uh, But there's Easter eggs and things in her work. I think the fans overreaching thing was a really big deal. When when Me, the lead single of Lover, was released, honestly, one of the ones I would have gotten rid of on the album, she said to the fans, hey, I announced the album title in the music video. Have fun finding it. People were making up such big theories. Guys, Lover is literally written by a ribbon in the sky. It's like one of the only words that's written in the music video. And the fandom was like, there are two cats and one of the cats' names. <laughs> People were making like initialisms. People were making anagrams. Like it was bananas. And then, you know, Taylor starts laughing and is like, guys, it's Lover. It's like literally written in the clouds. Conspiracy theories, though, about her personal life, I think started as kind of like niche fandom drama maybe some celebrity gossip kind of drama. I think there's a side of celebrity gossip that maybe not everybody knows about with like blinds and tabloids where, and I don't want to say this in a way that negates anybody's like sexuality or thoughts on it, but there's a lot of, with blinds, blinds would lead you to believe that every single person in Hollywood is gay and yachting. And, you know, there's truth in some blinds and then some, are just straight up lies. And that's like the fun thing about blinds is you get to read them and kind of like pick and choose and um, see which ones, you know, people say things feel true a lot with blinds. And I think that that is the judgment level you're really going on. But, but the problem with today's pop culture (laughs) to get on my little millennial soapbox for a second about like how both boomers and Gen Z just are too literal with what's happening on the internet. And millennials really understand that everything on the internet needs to be taken with 10 tablespoons of salt. Um, But conspiracy theories and fandom niche jokes and like there's a couple famous PowerPoints, like fandom-y PowerPoints that have gotten really popular in recent years. One of which is the Taylor, is the, um, sorry, not Taylor. One of which is the Leah Michelle can't read joke that two friends who were in the Glee fandom started. Now, this is one of my least favorite jokes for many, many reasons. One of which being that illiteracy is a really big problem and it shouldn't be something that's mocked because a lot of people who can't read already struggle with shame and asking for help. So Leah Michelle can't read is not a funny joke. And I really wish that a lot of people who I think know better would treat it with more seriousness. Um, anyway, <laughs> there's a dog barking outside. I hope you can hear it. It's New York and it's the first time that it's been below 80 degrees. So my window is wide open. It has been so hot recently. Anyway, Um, But I've been going outside. I even went out to a bar on like a 95 degree night. Who am I? Sorry. Getting back to the thing I was saying about culture. I think the Leah Michelle can't read joke has gotten out of what it was, which was like a niche fandom joke where people just like because it was kind of known that Leah Michelle was an asshole. The Tumblr fandom used to kind of like bully her on Tumblr, but it never got back to her. It wasn't supposed to be things that were super public. And like it's gotten to the point where like, John Lovett, who's like a grown adult who wrote speeches for a president, made like a big joke about illiteracy and nobody had a problem with it because TikTok takes things that were niche fandom things and existed in this small bubble where everybody kind of was in on it and have made it this thing. And so now on TikTok, I'll see people say things like, I bet her management started this rumor. And it's like, guys, it's not a rumor. It was like a joke. Like it's a it's a PowerPoint that was a joke. The the Lord slept with Jack Antonoff PowerPoint, another niche kind of like 
one-off fandom thing that gained a lot of traction on TikTok because it feels believable. And that's one of those things. This is, yeah, this loops back around to blinds. This is one of those things that feels real. People will find evidence, quote unquote, to like compound the feelings that they're having. And then they'll just take it as gospel. And with Taylor Swift, she's the subject of a lot of blinds and a lot of them have to do with her sexuality. And so it's one of those things where like, I don't feel super comfortable just saying somebody is a sexuality when they have not publicly confirmed it, but it's pretty hard to convince me that lover is not supposed to be a by album announcement. Like everything leading up to it was very um, queer coded (laughs) and the album's literally pink and blue in like the bi-color ways. And in her documentary, the documentary kind of doesn't make sense as far as like there, it feels like there's a missing arc and she's celebrating a thing at the end. And it's like, what is she celebrating? And I think it was a coming out party, but that's, I might have to cut this part out, but it just, it's, Um, there's a lot of blinds and a lot of quote unquote evidence that Taylor has dated like women, Carly Kloss and Diana Agron are the two names that come up the most often. And the thing about shipping real people or like discussing real people's relationships that they have not confirmed with the public is that it's like super weird. It's a slippery fucking slope. Like I don't want to conjecture about Taylor Swift's sexuality that she has never confirmed. Do I personally think that Lover is a bi anthem album? Yes. But like she doesn't have to be bi for that to be true for me. Uh, that's just my experience of the album. But I think that, you know, there's a lot of conjecture about her sexuality to the point that I don't think it's comfortable for her one way or the other to really be a part of that speculation. I even speculated on her, the you know, legitimacy of her relationships earlier. And while like I'm right about the legitimacy of a lot of her PR relationships, especially early on, it's still not great that like, that's the way we gossip about her. I feel like I'm having my cake and eating it too by kind of saying it that way. But Taylor is the subject of a lot of conspiracy theories. And because there's all of the stuff with her fans of like, oh, she's so smart and she's telling us about this. There's a lot of stuff of like, oh, this this song is actually about this. And there's a lot of them that I believe, like Blank Space being about a PR relationship makes a lot of sense. The lyrics make a lot of sense. The fact that she was like, yeah, this character that the tabloids made up, like what if that girl existed? And it's like, well, yeah, Taylor, what if that girl existed? Is this a song she would sing? And how are they getting that from your narrative? If You know, anyway, having my cake and eating it too is a very um, apt way to describe how I talk about pop culture. I'm like, that's weird. But also what if they are dating? And if for more on that, go listen to the Beyond the Blinds uh, podcast episode about Diana Agron, which again, like with blinds, you can take them or leave them, but there's some stuff that has like photographic evidence. And so I don't know, with fan culture, I think that, again, this is something that a few people used to talk about. And now it's like half of TikTok has an opinion on how Taylor Swift is gay or not gay. And if she was going to come out at this pride parade or this concert and like, that's, that's a lot. That's too much. I think it's really invasive. I think it's weird. I think we've forgotten that like outing people is not something that anybody should have any interest in. People are in the closet or out of the closet at their own discretion for their own reasons. Um, And yeah, it sucks that in Hollywood, which is a super gay town, people still hide their sexuality. But if that's true and if that's happening for her, she has every right to do so without being speculated about every single fucking second. And I just think that fan culture has really crossed a lot of lines. There's not a lot of separation. She's very much out of the public eye in a way that not a lot of celebrities are. She's moved to England. She doesn't just like pop up. Um, So, you know. Maybe everybody should chill out about speculating on her sexuality on TikTok every 10 seconds and making compilation videos with proof and connections and all of that. Like, it's just, it's a lot. And I think it crosses a lot of lines. Um, I understand that fandom stuff has always behaved in these ways, but I think as more people have access to fandom spaces, fandoms need to start moving in different ways. We need to start having different norms um, it's, it's, it's maybe not like, I don't have like full thoughts on this or anything formed, but 
I just think that fandoms used to be able to exist and be pretty niche and small and jokes could stay jokes because everybody had context for them. And when it comes to fandoms in which there are hundreds of thousands of people speculating about one person's actions, things get toxic very, very quickly. And that's just a lot of that's due to numbers. It's like there's so many Taylor Swift fans, there's going to be some fucking weirdos in there. But like, uh, it's not great that a lot of the stuff goes very mainstream and is discussed pretty widely and openly and not without a lot of caveats or like, well, in my personal opinion, but like, here are the facts. Here's how we know that this happened and this was going on. And like, you know, there is some hard evidence, but it's also like, should we have the videos that these people play regularly? I understand that she's a public figure and she's in public, but does that give us the right to film people? Like, I don't think so. I don't think we should film anybody without their explicit permission. If I ever end up in the back of a TikTok video, it's over. Uh Uh-uh. I do not want that. Even if, like, somebody was filming me with, like, oh, I think your outfit's cool, I would hate that. Don't do that to people. I think it's good that we're having conversations about privacy, but I think it's fucking wild how quickly it eroded. Whenever I see people post things like, oh, look at the cute couple I saw like on the subway tracks. I'm like, that's not for you. Like, stop filming people's family moments. Stop filming people's relationship moments. Stop filming intimate moments like between two people that you don't know and then posting it for maybe millions to see. It's weird that Couch Guy happened. Like, West Elm Caleb, also an invasion of privacy. So anyway, uh, back to Taylor Swift and her invasions of privacy. She, there's a certain closeness that she's clearly trying to cultivate with her fans. So... Conspiracy theories operate really excitingly in, does that make, is that a word? Does that make sense? Uh, Fan theories act as energizers in fandoms. People rally around them. There are people who believe it. There are people who ship certain ships. There were people before Harry and Taylor went out on that like one date that they went out on that had like whole blogs dedicated to what if they dated because they were just two of the biggest celebrities at a time and people just like to see their favorite people hang out together. It's very simple. So within a fandom, that kind of conspiracy theory gets addictive for people because there's this element of like, but what if it is true? Right. Like what if, though, and then your brain can go all of these different places. And I think what's really dangerous about that is in these communities that kind of goes unchecked and you get rewarded for sharing those theories publicly. TikTok, you're putting your face on it. Reddit and Tumblr operated a little bit differently because you could be anonymous. You could have anonymous blogs that just said some shit. And a lot of that's where a lot of this stuff comes from is people who like chronicled Uh, Twitter interactions and things like that on anonymous blogs on Tumblr. Now people on TikTok get on camera with their full face and sit there and talk about how they believe this stuff. And I think that that has really changed how fan culture works because there's now a face putting their credit, not credibility, but like putting a thing on saying like, I stand by what I'm saying here. And that is so accelerator like it's such an accelerator and I think it makes things feel more true when they're being told to you in a story form versus when you're like reading them on the internet or they're jokes or the PowerPoint is made as a you know like you're kind of doing this whole bit with your best friends and like now it just feels very serious it feels like everybody you know, needs to know everything that happened, needs a whole history, needs the whole rundown, but they need it told to them in story form and in eight parts on TikTok. And that has changed the dynamics a lot. And so I think there needs to be a lot of different fandom group norms happening. Um, I think people need to stop. Like the what if rush, I think is really addictive and it becomes this thing where you're going to start seeking out examples in every single moment and I think that all of the like communication coaches body language experts on on TikTok and on YouTube like it's all bullshit um there are so many moments that happen where I'm like well yeah that could mean something or it could just be that he like walked into something and made a startled face for a second like I don't think 
I don't think everything means everything. And I think fans want it to in a way that is sometimes really overbearing. And with Taylor, like, I would love it for her if she could come out and be really honest about, you know, the beginning of her career and how much control she felt she had. And if she could have said no to more things like, I don't know, you know, like when when you're starting out and it's working, why would you want the PR machine to stop? And if everybody in your camp is telling you to do something and it's six dudes sitting in a boardroom deciding who you're going to date, I want to hear about what that's like. But I don't think she can say it because, you know, it would ruin the whole thing. Would we trust her afterwards? So if Taylor Swift ever writes a tell-all memoir at the age of 50, I'm going to be very interested in reading it. Um, Her documentary is interesting. I think there's some stuff in it. It doesn't touch into a lot of the things that I wish she had. I think the Girl Squad era and the fact that there was a lot of comments about how she only had thin white friends in that girl squad and they were literally all models and half of them were Nepo babies and they kind of trotted Lena Dunham out as like, no, look, we have a fat friend. Lena Dunham's not that fat. Um, and that was weird. That was a weird thing to do. Um, I think they gloss over a lot of that stuff. She does talk about her ED, which I did appreciate, but it didn't, it, it leaves me worried the way she talks about it. I don't know that she sought professional help, or at least they don't explicitly say it. Again, like, I don't know that they would. But just some of the things she said, I'm like, have we have we fully addressed it? But I do think that her point of, like, seeing photos of yourself from all angles every day is not healthy for the human body. Like, it's definitely not. So the documentary is interesting. I do think it was one of those... A lot of celebrities have documentaries now that I'm like, did you need that? And I think with a lot of them, like, no, they just wanted to have a camera crew follow them around like Machine Gun Kelly. But with Taylor, I think she has a lot to say and she has a very interesting story. It felt like the documentary was lacking a narrative and I have a theory of what that narrative would be, but it would be hypocritical of me to detail it. I just, there's a few things in it that I'm like, oh, like, I feel like this was supposed to end kind of differently. The end is what really leads me to believe that they were either banking on Grammy noms or something else happening that had to be struck from the record. So the documentary is an interesting look into her process. I think watching her write songs is really fascinating. We didn't even talk about her lyrics. I feel like I spent the entire time gossiping and I want to wrap this up because um, there's a lot to say. I think one of the things I love about Taylor is that her lyrics are very good, deep, interesting. There are so many songs that could just make me cry at the drop of a hat. A lot of song, a lot of decent songs to dance to or to like groove around to. I think she's a great driving thing, a driving playlist mainstay. I think she's great on a writing playlist. Uh, really fun to walk around New York too, especially 1989. I feel like it's very much made for New York. But she also has some lyrics that are so fucking cheesy that they make my entire like hand and heart kind of shrivel up like a little raisin and I at first really didn't like them and then I feel like as I've gotten to know kind of Taylor more I feel like they're a little bit more authentic and I think Taylor's just a cheese ball and I think that's kind of fun um I think she's like a bit of a dork and it's great that she embraces that and we know more dorky girls should get to be performing in front of hundreds of thousands of people it's very interesting what they do at that time so I think she, I think like my big crossover into becoming a Swifty was really when I listened to certain lyrics in, you know, this is why we can't have nice things or after stay, stay, stay. And was like, yeah, that's Taylor. Like it's very signature her in a way that I hope she doesn't get rid of. So um, that's it. I think that's all I'm going to say about Taylor Swift for now. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode if you're a Swifty and you, you made it this far, um, please don't, don't like dox me. I wasn't trying to say anything bad about you or the fandom or Taylor. I just think that the way everything operates is worth looking at because she is such a cultural juggernaut. Um, everybody knows like five Taylor Swift songs, whether they think they do or not. And, uh, she makes really great music. She should be appreciated as one of the great artists and songwriters. I think she is by other people. And I think she's had like a, a big boom ever since folklore really came out of people being like, oh, she's like really talented, talented. And I think as a woman, it's very hard to get credit for things like that. Obviously, the Ryan Adams Pitchfork review, which I didn't even talk about, was a fucking insane moment in culture. And I think really demonstrated the misogyny that she faced where, and just to say that really quickly, Ryan Adams, who is now like, 
outed as a known abuser by like multiple people, including his ex-wife Mandy Moore, re-recorded 1989 when it came out and Pitchfork reviewed his version of 1989 and said like his version revealed pathos and stuff that wasn't obvious in the first one, which like is just sexism. Um, But then it turned out that Pitchfork had never reviewed any of her albums. And the first review of her albums was the man covering her just fucking insane shit. And Taylor wrote all of speak now because she got criticism that she hadn't written all of the songs on her debut and fearless. Um, And I think that kind of tenacity is also very evident in her and it's interesting. And I think um, more unapologetically creative bossy women is always a good thing. Yeah. Let me know your rankings. or If you listen to Taylor Swift or if this made you want to get into it at all, I think reputation is a great fucking album. I would skip track two. If you've never listened to it before, just go from one to three. I think it works really, really well. Ready for it is one of the best openers to any album ever. I think dress is a great song that was definitely not written for or about a straight relationship. And um, I really love the first half versus the second half of that album. I think it's really, really well done. So she was also in Cats. We're not going to talk about Cats. Uh, It's bad. And her song that she wrote for it, I think, is weird. And she had one of my favorite cringy quotes during that press tour, which is, if you can't get T.S. Eliot, get T.S. So, um, you know, it's not her fault. Andrew Lloyd Webber is a raging narcissistic asshole, but... Um, that movie was terrible. Tom Hooper should not direct musicals. And I hope Taylor gets to be in like fun movies if she wants to be in movies again. But Cats was not it. So I don't know why I brought up Cats right at the end. But um, this has been the episode on Taylor Swift. If you have thoughts, leave them in the comments below. You can always comment on the Substack. You can tweet at me. Uh, my Twitter is at HiClara with two eyes. Please subscribe if you're on Apple or anything like that and you've made it this far. Leave five stars. Why not, right? Make my day. Um, thank you so much for listening. We'll be, I'll, we'll be back. I'll be back next week. Um, there were some technical difficulties getting my uh, interview with my friend about video games up, but hopefully we'll be able to figure out a recording soon. And if not, I'll be back with another random topic. So have a great day, y'all. Bye.